We've all got questions about the Bible and Christianity. Some of us are Christians and want to know how best to live for God and show our love for Him. Some of us are curious about what it means to follow Jesus. And some of us are skeptical of the idea of religion in general. Whatever your background, we invite you into these conversations that strive to take an honest look at what the Bible has to say on a wide variety of subjects. Each week, we will discuss questions that have been sent in from all around the world and try to find truth and practical application in God's Word. If you have any questions or follow-up comments, contact us anytime by emailing info at broadwaycoc.com. I'm Jed Lovejoy, and these are Conversations with Dan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another one of our conversations here with Dan. Glad to have everyone back this week. Um, really appreciated all the people that have been commenting on various uh, videos that we've done over the last couple of weeks, but especially going back into the back catalog of things that we've done. I know that that's been helpful for a lot of people study-wise. We've responded to a couple of people just today about the immortal soul yes. and those sort of things. So always feel free to dig through those. If you ever have any questions about maybe topics we've covered before or where those may be, feel free to reach out to us. Again, our email address that always comes up, the info at broadwaycoc.com. Best way to get hold of us pretty consistently. So as for this week, Dan, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about what is legitimate biblical baptism. Hmm. There are so many different flavors and types of baptism and, and such confusion of ideas about baptism, I think this is something we need to kind of break down and address okay. in a discussion. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about it a little bit in passing related to one specific type of baptism or whatever, but I don't think we've done kind of this comprehensive look at the whole thing, so to say. Yeah, a um, couple of preliminary remarks. Christian baptism... Christ's New Covenant baptism is not Jewish ritual immersion. The okay. Old Testament, Leviticus 14, Exodus 28 and 29, there was ritual immersion that was self-immersion um, as a matter mm -hmm. of ceremonial cleanness. The priests yeah. did it when they were ordained. The leper who was cleansed in Leviticus 14 mm -hmm. had to immerse himself. Uh, there were various other conditions of ceremonial uncleanness where the person had to immerse himself or herself before they could go to the temple. But this had nothing to do with Christianity, and it had nothing to do with the death of Christ, and it had nothing to do with sin. Okay. So we're going to be talking specifically about this New Testament Christian baptism. Yes. And, okay. And to, to clarify a little bit more quickly, this is not John's baptism. Mm -hmm. The baptism of John the Baptist, which we read about in the Gospels, was a preparatory baptism, a baptism of repentance, but it, nobody became Christians mm. because of this baptism, and it had nothing to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. So at Luke 24, verse 47, which I think is a key passage, you know, there's a sequence of events through the Gospels where Jesus is becomes flesh, he, he grows up in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man, he mm -hmm. completes his ministry and his sinless life, he dies on the cross, he's resurrected, and then he says, Luke 24, verse 47. Verse 47, it says, And the repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. All right, so... 
that had not happened yet. And Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven there in that passage, is mm-hmm. saying that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in Jesus' name for the first time starting in Jerusalem. Right. Well, that's in Acts, mm-hmm. volume 2, yep. chapter 2. And so the study of real Christian baptism by which people came into Jesus Christ begins in the second chapter mm-hmm. of Acts. Yeah. And um, several things about that baptism. Um, first of all, that baptism was predicated on teaching and understanding. In every one of those Acts passages where people are taught, there is a message preached, mm-hmm. and people hear that message um, Acts 2.41, those who gladly received his message Mm -hmm. were baptized. So we're not talking about baptism of infants. We're not talking about baptism of people that can't understand. Um, So so we would call this not necessarily an adult baptism, because adult may mean different things to different people, Mm -hmm. but it is definitely not a child's infant's baptism. Right, because it is the baptism of a hearer who can understand the gospel and respond to the gospel for himself or herself. Okay. And also, you know, when they when they ask Peter, what shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized. Repentance is a decision. It's a, yeah. it's a conscious change of direction and heart and mind that that a, a rational person has to make based on the hearing of the gospel and the accepting of the gospel. So this further shows that we're not talking about infant baptism. We're talking about baptism of people that can hear and understand and make a decision on okay. their own. All right? And um, when throughout the book of Acts, you have the gospel being preached and people responding to that gospel Acts 18.8 is a real simple little verse talking about how the gospel came to Corinth. Read that, if you would. 18.8 says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogues, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Notice they heard the gospel, Mm -hmm. they believed, and they were baptized. Yeah. And so that's what we find. And Crispus, of course, is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1 as one of the people Paul remembered baptizing. Right. Um, So we've established, I think, that that baptism is not Jewish ritual immersion. It's not John's baptism. It's based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's for people can hear and understand the gospel. It is um, for believers. Mm -hmm. Now, so I get, as a pause there, a lot of times when people start talking about baptism, I don't know if they're fighting against an idea that maybe Christians have said this was something new and different or what it is, but they'll usually try to diminish the importance of Christian baptism by saying, well, it's been done before by other people. And so I think we could say, yes, baptisms have happened, but there's a different purpose in Christian baptism. Yes, and you're you're getting into something that's, that's very important here, the purpose of Christian baptism. And this is where I think... There's, there's two areas we need to discuss, but this is one of the main ones. Mm. Um, Christian baptism is not for saved people. Okay. And there are many people who, who understand, I believe incorrectly, that 
Salvation comes when one prays a prayer or calls Jesus into their heart, and then after we're saved, the saved person is baptized to become a member of whatever church. And, of course, that's not at all what we read about in the New Testament. Mm. Um, in Mark's gospel, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. In uh, Acts, at the first time Christian baptism was ever actually preached, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Mm -hmm. And so baptism is, is intimately connected with the forgiveness of sins, which is when we're saved. Mm. And um, so the person who is being baptized needs to understand that prior to that baptism, they don't have a relationship with God. They are not saved. They they may be seekers of God. Cornelius is a good yeah. example. I was going to say, when you say that they don't have a relationship with God, maybe clarify, because is it that they don't know God or that God's keeping them distant from him No, still, no, no. It, it's that they may be a seeker of God, and like we see in Acts 10, we've got Cornelius. Mm -hmm. And Cornelius was, God was listening to his prayers, he was seeking God, he was doing good things. Yeah. But in Acts 11, verse 13 and 14, mm -hmm. Cornelius tells how he saw this angel, and listen to what Cornelius says. Uh, verse 13? Mm, 13 and 14. Okay. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So see, Cornelius was a good guy, and he was a seeker of God, and God saw him seeking, but he was not yet saved. Mm, yeah. And he needed to hear the gospel message and respond to the gospel message mm -hmm. in being baptized into Christ. Yeah. Now, there's there's a lot of people that say, I've been baptized, but they've been baptized with a different purpose in mind mm. than than original uh than Christian baptism. Now, think about this. In Romans six, verse seventeen and eighteen, of course Romans six has a lot to say about baptism. Okay. But baptism is called a form or a mm -hmm. symbolic representation of the gospel teaching. And if you look back earlier in Romans 6 at the first four or five verses, that gospel teaching has to do with the death, mm -hmm. burial, and resurrection mm -hmm. of Christ. So baptism is a symbolic representation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Right. But notice the sequence in Romans 6, 17, and 18. Uh, it says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, having been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. All right, yours translates that the standard of teaching. I think that's very weak. Mm. Um, the Greek word is tupos, tupon, which means a symbolic representation of the teaching. Okay. So that word, which in... Other translations is the form or symbol of the teaching. Mm. That's referring to baptism. Okay. But notice it says, you obeyed from the heart. Mm. So the intention of your heart is part of what's important in going into baptism. Because it's, I think this wades into that area where a lot of people will look at baptism and say, oh, well, you're talking about a work, something that you do to gain it. And that's clearly not what that's saying. It's not saying no. you did this so you get salvation. It's saying out of the need of your heart, you're doing what you've been called to do. 
Yes, and and the man and man understands and thinks with his heart. And mm. baptism is the point at which we're united with the death of Christ. Verse three there in Romans six says mm. we're baptized into his death. Yeah. Because I think some people they go well, I committed to Jesus when I, and they'll fill in the blank with something. And then later I was baptized. Right. And so would it be fair to say that this is saying your commitment to Jesus is in baptism? Yeah, it's not just your commitment. It's the point at which your relationship with God changes. Going back to the beginning of that chapter. Yes, and, and many denominations today teach that in their teaching, it's specifically stated that baptism is not part of salvation. It is mm. not necessary for salvation. Mm. But the New Testament does not support that teaching. The New Testament says that baptism is God's way for us to accept his grace mm. and that we are not saved by a prayer that we pray sometime before. We are saved when we when we accept God's grace mm-hmm. in imitating the act of his death and burial and resurrection in the act of baptism. So baptism is a response to the gospel of Christ by a lost person who knows they need to be saved and they're accepting that salvation mm-hmm. in the in the waters of baptism. So when you have a passage that's like, you know, by grace through faith you have been saved, where does baptism fit in a statement like that? Well... We in Romans five seventeen it says those that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So you have to accept or receive grace. Mm-hmm. You have to receive the gift of righteousness, and you do that in the act of mm-hmm. baptism. So yes, salvation is by grace, but we accept that grace in baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, Acts twenty two sixteen. Saul of Tarsus was told, arise and be baptized and mm-hmm. wash away your sins, right. calling on his name. Which, again, I think that's another... It's always interesting if we could go through that verse again, where it says, rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Because that's another common thing you'll hear is, well, I spoke to God, I asked him, I called on him. Yeah, calling and, on the name of the Lord. In fact, if you want to talk about that, go back to Acts 2. Okay. In Acts 2, in the original Pentecost sermon, he quotes the passage from Joel 2, 28-32, starting in verse 17. And at the end of that passage, in verse 21, he says, And it shall be that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord mm-hmm. shall be saved. Yeah. But if you really study that sermon that comes after that, he shows them that Jesus is Lord on mm-hmm. whom they must call. Right. And he reaches that conclusion in Acts 2.37, or excuse me, 36. Mm-hmm. So whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, but then the next verse he says, Brothers, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God unto you, and he tells all about Jesus, and then he shows them that Jesus is Lord, and then in verse 37 they ask, How do we call upon the name of the Lord? Right. See, so, what shall we do in order yeah. to call upon the name of this Jesus? So they don't hear that statement from the prophet of long ago and say, okay, that's we get it. They then still seek clarification and receive a response. That's right. Yeah, the response being repent and be baptized. That's right, and if you don't make the connection between Acts 2.21 mm-hmm. and Acts 2.36, God mm-hmm. has made Jesus Lord. 
Yeah. Well, okay, then what should we do? Right. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And thus why this is now different than what John was doing just previously and why we're going to encounter several believers of John who are then taught the rest of the story, so to say. That's right. Okay. That's right. So baptism is not Jewish baptism. It's not John's baptism. It's baptism into Christ. It's based on the death and resurrection of Christ. Mm. We're baptized into that death of Christ for mm. the forgiveness of our sins. And one other thing. Baptism is never sprinkling. Okay. It's not pouring. Mm-hmm. Baptism is immersion. And people say, well, what's the big deal? Yep. The big deal is simply that God, in his word, has told us that baptism is immersion. Now, yep. some people think that, that what, why are the forms important? Why do we have to worry about this? Only because God mm-hmm. gave us this form and we're trusting in God who gave us this form. And he said, you were the slaves of sin, but you obeyed from the heart this form of the teaching mm-hmm. in which you were delivered and were made free from sin. But that's where I think this is a good example of those an English word that is doing a poor job of translating what was meant. Sure. Because people will go, well, baptism is meant a lot of different things throughout history. Well, we're not talking about history. We're talking about scripture. Oh, yeah. So, so is there... Maybe a way to clarify for re- listeners out there something that they could look up sure. to understand what is the real word being used when it talks about a believer's immersion baptism. Well, bab- baptismo or baptismo, baptizo simply means to dip, plunge, or immerse. But beyond that, we don't even need that. Romans 6, 3 and 4, we were buried with him through mm. baptism. Yeah. Now, buried with him, raised with him, see? Yeah. That clearly shows that baptism is a burial. It's an immersion. Yeah. Um, All Jewish immersion was immersion. Uh, John's immersion was immersion. Um, In Acts 8, when Philip baptizes the eunuch, they went down into the water, both mm. Philip and the eunuch, and he immersed him. And when he was come up out of yeah. the water, you know, yeah. there are passages like that. But even historically, we know that baptism was immersion until, and it was immersion way up into the Middle Ages, until um, the first change in that, Cyprian, uh, the uh, bishop of Carthage in the third century, talked about clinical baptism where people that were sick in the bed and they decided they wanted to be saved. And he said, well, I'll make an exception for them. And if they're sick Hmm. in the bed and can't get up, we'll let water be poured on them. If they get well, he said, they better go be immersed. Hmm. But Cyprian of Carthage in his letters is the first one we have that kind of talks about that. Tries to make an exception where God didn't make one, you know, about Hmm. about, uh, a substitution. But um, the very meaning of baptism is in the form of baptism. It's, it's immersion. And I would simply ask, why would someone not want to do the core Christian ritual of baptism in the way that Christ and his apostles yeah. instituted it? Yeah. I guess this is something I've never spent a lot of time looking into. So like the story you're telling about why we have this idea of sprinkling. I mean, is there anything in the Bible where they're trying to pull that from? 
or where people will look to and there's, go? There's one place in Hebrews chapter 10. Okay. Interesting thing about the word sprinkling in Hebrews. Every time there's any sprinkling in Hebrews, it's I'm, blood I was going to guess being it, sprinkled. Since they're talking a lot about Old Testament Levite processes, yeah. uh, that was my guess. And... Um, in, even in chapter twelve, the br- the blood of sprinkling, you know, the blood of Christ sprinkled is, speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Mm. But um, in Hebrews ten verse twenty two, let's see, yeah, uh, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice first that it's the heart, the mind, the conscience that's mm. sprinkled clean. And it's the body that is washed in pure water. And mm. he, and the Hebrew washings, these are Jews you're talking to, they understood that that was immersion. Okay. But the heart is sprinkled when the body is is washed. Now, if you'll go back immediately in the context to Hebrews 9, 14. Okay. Let's see. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. All right, now start with verse 13 and read that. I think you'll pick okay. up the idea. Yeah. Uh, for if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. All right, so there's your sprinkling. Yeah. And then here we go again in chapter 10 with the same idea. Mm. Okay. So it's not saying, this isn't talking about actual baptism process. This is, again, trying to draw the connection between the way things were sanctified in the Old Testament and then how Jesus is the true blood that needs to be used. Right, and and of course, Jesus' literal blood... Yeah. It's not sprinkled on you, but on yeah. your heart to cleanse your conscience, mm-hmm. as that says, while your body is washed in the pure waters of baptism. Okay. So, baptism is immersion. Mm-hmm. Baptism is for those that have heard and understood the gospel and for those who are ready to repent. Mm. It is for people who are lost, who want to be saved, and who are accepting the grace of God in the waters of baptism. If these are basic understandings that allow one to obey the gospel from the heart. Now, I know that the tendency of people is to say, well, does it really matter when and how and for what reason mm. that a person is baptized? But what we do on this podcast is we don't talk about how we feel or whatever. We talk about what does Scripture say what we try to do yeah and so we're trying to to say if we want to go by the scriptures this is what god tells us that we should do mm. so so the goal hopefully for this conversation has been to give you an idea of what the bible says about baptism yes about its purpose for baptism uh i'm sure there's lots of questions about like nuts and bolts of sure. those wins and wheres and whys and all that sort of stuff if you have those questions, we would love to address those. Absolutely. But the general idea for this isn't to address every minute bit of it, but to give you the umbrella picture of yeah, what. Yeah, and, and it's simply to say that if you're out there and you're, you're 
in the miasma of confusion baptism. He's always getting on to me for big words. So That's a <laughs> small, rather small word. But anyway, what, what, we, what we're really talking about is to understand biblical baptism, Christian baptism, mm-hmm. first you have to understand the sequence of events in the Bible which led up to the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, which mm-hmm. were the redemptive works. Right. And then the gospel was preached after that based on those redemptive works. Mm-hmm. And we're told in the book of Acts and the epistles how people were taught the gospel, how they responded to the gospel, yeah. et cetera. And that's how we gain what biblical baptism is. Okay. So hopefully that helps a little bit. And like I said, if you have other questions,